Hello, welcome to the latest edition of Nursing Matters with me, Rachel Hollis. I'm the chair of the RCN's Professional Nursing Committee. I'm a children's cancer nurse and I live in North Yorkshire. Our special guest today is Graham Reavy, who's chair of the RCN's Trade Union Committee. Hello, Graham, and welcome to Nursing Matters. Hello, Rachel. Pleasure to be here. How are you and, and where are you today? At uh, home in Bonnie, Scotland, uh, just north of Glasgow, a place called Kirkintilloch, and I won't ask your uh, listener to spell <laughs> that. Um, but um, you know, just um, by way of the uh, introduction, the sun is just coming out in Scotland today, so we're having having a, we're having a, what we call an Indian summer here at the moment. <laughs> and I think the sun's just going in in Yorkshire. This week, my co-host was due to be Siobhan Donald, who's the PNC committee member for Northern Ireland. But Northern Ireland is currently experiencing a significant rise in COVID cases, and Siobhan is heavily involved in the response, so she can't join me this week. But I'm delighted instead to welcome Rita Devlin, Interim RCN Director for Northern Ireland. Hello, Rita, and welcome to Nursing Matters. Hello, Rachel. The UK media has been criticised for rarely reporting on the COVID crisis in Northern Ireland, but we're hearing now of a significant increase in, in cases and we know of severe staffing shortages in the system. What are you hearing from RCN members, Rita? Well, um, Rachel, interestingly, I've just been interviewed by Sky for the UK before, just before this, and they were asking the same questions. Our members are... Like like other members right across the UK, they are absolutely exhausted. Um, they are burnt out. And what worries me is the amount of our nurses that are telling me that they can't face working through another wave of COVID. And that's really concerning. At the minute, we are, as you know, there was a call came out on a Sunday night for off-duty members to go in and work in two of our trusts. Mm. That is very, very concerning. It's a mixture of a huge increase in COVID patients, a huge increase in the number of our members who are having to isolate because they've been in contact with people with COVID. And also, as you know, we started pre-COVID with nearly 2,000 nurse vacancies in a very small place, which was about 12-13% vacancy rate. Graham, as, as chair of the Trade Union Committee, you take the member lead on pay in the RCN, and we're going to come on to talk about the Fair Pay for Nursing campaign very shortly. But first, as anti-lockdown protests continue across the capital and nationwide, a former nurse who was struck off the register has caused controversy by comparing staff working on vaccinations to Nazi war criminals. What did you think when you heard this? Oh, Rachel, I was absolutely disgusted. Uh, disgusted and actually disappointed. Um, the you, it's a very very hard thing. It must be really you know to actually turn your back on the profession is one thing, right? But the fact of the matter is that, that, that this this woman was coming away with such vitriol towards her, uh, you know people that go out of their way to care, that go out of their way and have went the extra mile during such a a hard slog. And many of these vaccinators are doing vaccination as additional pieces of work. They're coming off different um, wards and departments and actually going to deliver this. It's an absolutely ridiculous state of play. and, And for these people to actually listen and give any credulity to this, it's incredible, incredible. Graham, in last week's podcast, we discussed why the title 
of nurse should be protected in law. And under current rules, this woman who, as you say, seems to have turned her back on the profession, is still able to call herself a nurse. Does this reinforce the need for protection of the title? I think, you know, the, the, the protection of the title of nurse, it's always going to be controversial. There are many um, different elements of this. We pay every year subscription to the NMC in order that our profession and the, uh, is protected and the public are protected. And for that purpose, we are actually in a place where we can call ourselves a nurse and be legitimately proud of that. It's not just a title that you pick up in your shopping basket. So we've got two great guests for this week's podcast. And together we're going to look at why the government's plans for a 3% NHS pay rise could put healthcare provision further in peril. And after 10 years of effective pay cuts, is it time for nurses to take a stand? Last year, the government announced its intention to offer a 1% pay rise to NHS staff, but asked the pay review body for its recommendation. Following the report from the pay review body and in the wake of considerable public pressure, the government in England increased its offer from 1% to 3%. There's a widespread feeling that this pay rise is just not enough to recognise the value of the profession, the loss of earnings over the last 10 years, and the significant staffing crisis facing the profession. Is it time for nurses to take a stand over pay? And what could that look like? Graham, you've been leading the RCN's Fair Pay for Nursing campaign. Is 3% enough? No. Why is it not enough? Quite simply, we have made a demand on the government of a 12.5% pay award for nursing. We did not pluck that figure out of thin air, Rachel. That figure was based on where we were where we are now and what we would expect a government to pay to value nursing. When we talked about the 12.5% figure, I know I went round all of the various governance bodies of the Royal College of Nursing and gave them the rationale. And we provided that evidence to the peer review body. And the peer review body have really not taken what the RCN have said on board and haven't taken the views that the professional nursing, the the body that represents the the professional nursing workforce in the NHS, we have not been heard by the pay review body. And in its report, where it actually makes the the issue of the 3% award, and I must correct you, Rachel, there is not an offer here. This is not an offer. This is an award. This is something that the government are set to impose on all NHS workers across the Agenda for Change in England. Uh, And the Welsh Government is um, going to be doing the same. Until now, we haven't had an announcement from Northern Ireland, and we um, anticipate that announcement coming quite soon. But again, it is an award. It's not an offer. There is no negotiation here. What we will have to do is basically we will have to ask our members what they think of this award. And Graeme, you said that um, the pay review body didn't listen to what the evidence that the RCN put in front of it. What were the key elements of that evidence that you think should have been taken into account when that award was made? The key elements in the RCN's evidence are um, in, in relation to, number one, recruitment. That in order to actually recruit nurses into the profession and to make nursing a profession that people wish to join, 
then it needs to be a profession that is being valued by the public. Number two is retention of the current workforce. We have had reports of a workforce which is so severely under stress and feeling so undervalued that in some countries, as much as 38% of nurses are considering leaving. It's around about a third across the whole of the UK are considering leaving the profession. So that's the first um, the first two elements of this. The third element of it, really, Rachel, is about the value that people put on nursing. And if you think about it, over the last 10 years, um, nursing wages has not kept pace with inflation to the point that nurses are around 15% down. And we wanted the 12.5% pay rise to indicate a government to restore pay to what it should be. I have yet to find a profession who have to go through a degree in order to qualify, who have to actually who have to have the prerequisite of the learning that nurses have to do. I have not found a comparable pr- profession that is paid so low, and that the value of the um, the people of the country is a, puts us at very very high levels of value, and they tell us that we are really valued. But a government is yet to recognise that value, Rachel. So that's the the other element that we put within our pair of view body evidence. We looked at um, how we can attract, and we think we will attract people into the profession if we give them a decent wage. The fourth issue that I would like to highlight in relation to the pair of view body report and the evidence that we've provided is actually to explode a myth that exists around the economic arguments that the government keep coming away with about a pay award being unaffordable at this time due to economic arguments. We commissioned London Economics, which is an agency that uh, supplies independent information to organisations to actually do a review of what this would mean. And they've done some modelling for us, which we provided to the pay review body of evidence. That evidence showed and clearly demonstrated that if a nurse, nurses were to be given a substantial pay rise, then the Treasury would have a recuperation of that of up to 80% due to national insurance contributions, direct taxation and indirect taxation. So basically what the government would be funding is about 20% of this award. So to say that it's unaffordable is a myth. Graham, you work in Scotland where nurses have been given a 4% pay rise. What was the response to that among nurses and RCN members? Rachel, um, the nurses in Scotland don't believe that that's enough. You know, it sounds as if people are being greedy here, but we're not being greedy. Nurses are actually trying to fight for what they deserve. And if I tell you a newly qualified nurse in Scotland who does not have shift enhancements. Basically, that gives them just over £10 a week as a pay rise, enough to buy themselves a a plate of fish and chips and a cup of tea. You know, is that the value that people put on nursing these days? After what the nurses have just demonstrated, you you indicated in your opening statement about the the way that the spotlight has been shone on the nursing profession during COVID, I think the public value us more than that. 
And actually, don't hide behind percentages. Percentages can, you know, statistics and goddamn statistics, they can hide a multitude of sins. But the reality of that is, I spoke to a newly qualified nurse, and he told me that in his job, he will receive approximately 10 to 12 pounds extra a week for his commitment to patient care and to the lives and to the safety of the people of this nation. Rita, we've heard that um, the government of Northern Ireland hasn't made a pronouncement on pay at at this stage, but you were involved with industrial action by nurses in 2019, early 2020, when at the time you were calling for pay parity with other parts of the UK. What form did that industrial action take and, and what did it achieve? I think it's important to note, Rachel, that the RCN had been raising concerns about a reduction in student nurse numbers, salami slicing of nursing posts, short-term savings. And we had been raising that in the RCN for, for at least a decade. So the industrial action really was a culmination of all of that because nobody listened and things were getting worse and worse. As I said to you, we were nearly... 2,000 nurses short, and that was just in the health service. We were probably about that again in the independent sector. Nobody was listening, and to top it all off, we were paid less than than our colleagues in in England and Wales, and Scotland, obviously. And what happened was we came to a point where we could no longer, our nurses could no longer deliver safe care. And they were concerned about losing their registration. They were concerned about the systematic disruption of health service for our public. We felt we had nowhere else to go. We had to talk to our members and ballot them and find out whether or not they were up for industrial action. And it turned out that they had had enough. And they said, you know, people who said, I joined the RCN because it had a no strike policy, but... This is about patient care and patient safety. And as you know, we had three days of um, industrial action and we had three days of full strike in December 2019 and January 2020. And we eventually won pay parity and we won a suite of things from the department, from the executive to look at safe staffing. So we we got a safe staffing framework and safe staffing legislation was one of our asks, as well as an increase in the post-registration nursing budget and fully funded implementation of delivering care, which is our methodology for identifying the nursing needs within different wards and departments and communities, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we won all of that. The one thing I would say to you is pay parity has remained up until now. We are hugely concerned that as yet our executive have given us no indication about what pay award they are going to offer. We have told them categorically that under no circumstances would we even contemplate accepting a loss of pay parity again. I believe that they've got that message loud and clear. I suppose some of our concerns is that the government as far as we know, aren't going to properly fund even the 3%, which we're not accepting of. And we find ourselves now today in a position where we don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. 
What was the reaction of the public to the prospect of nurses taking industrial action, indeed to the reality of the nurses taking industrial action in Northern Ireland? So if I was to say, Rachel, the first day that we took strike action was one of the worst days of my career, but also actually one of the best days of my career because um, the public came out in absolute droves. We had been very clear with our public that we were fighting on their behalf. The public had experienced the shortage of nursing staff, so they knew firsthand what it was, and they were absolutely 100% on our side. But our message was very clearly safe staffing first, and it was very clearly in order to have safe staffing and in order to recruit and retain, you must have proper pay. So we, it was in that order that we, our messages went to the public and, you know, it would have done your heart good really to see very elderly people getting their sons and daughters to drive them to the picket line with cakes and biscuits and all kinds of umbrellas because it was, it was absolutely atrocious weather. Umbrellas, towels, raincoats, you name it. And I mean the oldest and the most vulnerable people who really probably should have said, what are those nurses doing out there? They were 100% behind us. I think, Rachel, one of the most poignant moments that I ever saw was when I saw a man standing on a picket line with a couple of tanks of oxygen, right, with an oxygen mask on. It was one of the most poignant moments that I saw pictured in the Northern Ireland dispute, which clearly demonstrated that patients actually understand that nurses are so valuable and so needed, so essential for the fabric of a country that they cannot, they could not, they could the Irish people could not turn, the Northern Irish people could not turn their backs on nurses. It was an absolutely amazing and a wonderful, wonderful outcome. And it was because of the very nature of nurses in Northern Ireland explaining Everything completely. The rationale was completely understood by that nation. And fair play to them, they've done a fantastic job. Thinking about industrial action and recognising that in Northern Ireland there were some very specific conditions for that, and and we'll come on shortly to talk about that link between pay and, and safe staffing. I just wondered, Graham, you talked to RCN members across many different professional settings, both in the NHS and in the independent sector, in Scotland, in in England, in in all four countries. What's the mood amongst nurses at at the moment in the context specifically of um, the pay award? And is there an appetite for industrial action, do you think? It's a difficult question, that one, Rachel. What I will say is my experience of nursing thus far on the on the day of the announcement was one of anger and furiation. Absolutely, um, nurses were disgusted and actually felt very let down, very let down. The reason why they felt very let down is because a prime minister, a health minister, a treasury um, minister, as in the chancellor, all stood on their doorsteps and clapped for nurses. This is, you know, um, could only be described as a, a, a slap for nurses, a slap in the face. In relation to how nurses feel at the moment, I have never experienced such low morale. 
the one thing that happens during a crisis is a crisis has a beginning, a middle and an end. And this crisis thus far, there is no end in sight because what the government are actually doing at the moment is actually planning on our recovery plans, if you like, for the NHS, and rightly so. But they're planning on these with having a full workforce. And actually, our workforce is not going to be full. We have had people who have not had any vacation or any break away from their work as yet. So morale is at its lowest point. I think to myself the way that people are being called in on their days off in Northern Ireland. We have to have a life as well as having a work life. This terminology of work-life balance, you have to be able to rest in order to bring your best. You have to be able to share in order to care. And all of these things have been under such significant time pressure that we can't do these things in the way that we used to do. I was going to say around industrial action, Rachel, Right, because actually that was the third part of the question around the appetite for industrial action. No nurse really does want to strike, and no nurse in Northern Ireland wanted to strike either. And Rita, you know, said it was probably the saddest day in her career, and also the day that she felt really uplifted by the public. The saddest day comes because actually we know that this is going to have an impact, because striking does have an impact. But what we will guarantee is basically that impact will not affect life or limb. Patients will not die because nursing staff are ever taking industrial action. But our appetite for industrial action must be tempered by now. We're we're downtrodden. We need to do something to uplift the profession and uplift the people who work day in, day out caring for people in order that they feel empowered and they have the vision that together... As a collective, we can challenge and win these arguments. I want to challenge and win these arguments long before we get to industrial action. We've talked today and we've talked in every one of our podcast episodes about the crisis in the nursing workforce. Over the last five years, the government has received at least 21 warnings about the need for more nurses in the healthcare service. Those warnings have not just been from the RCN or other health unions and royal colleges. They've come from a range of influential health sector organisations, health think tanks and even cross-party parliamentary groups. But there is still no coherent or fully funded nursing workforce strategy. So how's this linked to the issue of pay? Graham, can we just um, think again about how pay is so integrally connected to those other issues about the need for workforce expansion and, of course, retention. Why does pay matter so much in building our nursing workforce? I was having a a, a bit of a a wry, sarcastic smile, Rachel, when you actually talked about the 21 warnings, because I think you could have 150 warnings with flashing blue lights going outside Downing Street, and they still wouldn't listen. Um, This does not appear to be a government that does listen, uh, or a government that listens to all the wrong things. But I think that the whole fact that pay and value and nursing workforce are linked, the link is not a tenuous link. It is one that is so well-connected and well-responded. Our nurses have told us they don't feel valued and they're choosing to leave in their droves. Some students have actually said to me 
and this is a beauty, okay? Actually, I'm just going to go through and finish my degree. I'm not considering working in nursing anymore because it's so badly paid. But what I will do is actually I'll use the degree and then go into some postgraduate education scheme, which will then allow me to get entry. Because actually the skills that I learned in nursing are so excellent and so thorough that they actually set me up to actually do different things in a different way. Linking it to recruitment of nursing is absolutely pivotal. Let's think about industrial history uh, of the RCN. Rita, you talked about the staffing shortages in Northern Ireland, both going into the pandemic and and now, and we're seeing that that play out now. Thinking about, you know, Graham's great description of the sort of the breadth of responsibility that nurses hold, then, you know, how do those gaps in nursing numbers impact the quality and safety of patient care? Well, I suppose, uh, Rachel, I would say to date, they haven't. Well, when I say they haven't, I mean, patients certainly aren't getting the level of care that our nurses would hope and that they would get. However, uh, I think what is happening is that nurses are taking up the slack for each other. So they're working overtime, uh, unpaid overtime. They're missing tea breaks. They're missing training and development. Uh, They're missing, as Graham said, time out, even just to to think um, and to, to chat and to discuss and if their heads down and they're working as hard as they can. So in essence, what has happened is that they have picked up the slack to an extent that everything has become normalised. Now, shortage of staff has become normalised. Coming into work and only having one other full-time member of staff and being staffed with the rest with the agency has become normalised. But I suppose I believe that we're starting to see the outworkings of that now. We're starting to see people retiring early. Those who can still retire at 55 are certainly going. We're starting to see quite a lot of burnout. We have high levels of sickness absence, and I do believe that part of that is because people have been worn down. Outwardly, they are, I suppose, putting a massive stick and plaster over a a gaping wound, and it's just about holding together at the minute. But for for how much longer would be my worry. And just to say that we have never had really any difficulty with recruiting to nursing in Northern Ireland. And, and it would I, I could tell you that we usually have about four applicants for every place. So recruitment into the profession isn't my concern at the time, although the reason that we are so short staffed was because maybe 10, 12 years ago, the Department of Health decided to cut the number of nurses in training. So we're seeing the outworkings of that now. But recruitment into the profession is not my concern. My biggest concern is retention. Retention of those very experienced staff who not only look after our patients, but also who teach our younger um, and our new nurses. The hemorrhaging out of that group of staff is my biggest concern at the minute. Graham, you talked about um, the fact that, you know, there is a poor history of workforce planning in in health and and care services. And certainly, I think, if you look at one of the common themes of the reports that I talked about earlier, it is the need for that long-term approach to training, to recruitment, to retention, to pay, 
in order to recognise the value of the profession and, and, and reward it accordingly. The government's latest health and social care bill actually says very little about that key issue of staffing for health and care services. And yet it's a very clear opportunity to introduce a, a legislative framework for workforce planning in, in England. The RCN's lobbying for that. But what about the position in the devolved nations where Wales was the first to pass safe staffing for legislation with Scotland following behind. And what's the current position in Scotland, Graham, around safe staffing legislation? We have got the legislation in place, but like all good procedure manuals, they're only actually good when they actually start working. And at the moment, the legislative changes have taken place, but we don't really have the um, the practicalities and the enforcement and, and the ways of actually making sure that it's being dealt with appropriately. And that's one of the challenges that RCN Scotland have and actually are challenging the government now to actually now it's time for you to deliver on the safe staffing legislation and the outputs of that. So we will continue to campaign in that space. But Rachel, you're absolutely right. And we are, you know, the RCN are calling for basically responsibility and accountability around this. And that's one of the reasons why we believe that the Secretary of State in England should be entirely accountable for workforce and for workforce shortages, and for having a robust workforce plan, Rachel. Because it's not just about the current workforce. The health service is continuing to develop in different ways all over the different areas of nursing and the areas of of medicine, surgery, etc. This means that there is continual development on demands versus capacity, and these things are not getting taken into consideration either. One of the most distressing things for any nurse to do is to walk off a shift knowing that they've not done, not been able to, due to short staffing, been able to provide the best care that they can for their patients. And that's one of the things that people need to understand around this whole argument around fair pay. This argument around fair pay is actually about making sure that people are valued and feel valued and feel when they go into a shift that they're actually being able to provide that fair amount of work or, or, or the right amount of work for the amount of wage that's been paid and not to be disgruntled leaving their shift thinking, I should have been able to do more. That's not the way a nurse reacts. A nurse will then go home and spend their time tossing and turning. I had one person who worked in a ward that I was working in at one point, Rachel, just you know to take a little experiential story here. And I was on night shift in the ward and that nurse phoned me at three o'clock in the morning because she couldn't get to sleep because she'd forgot to do something and she couldn't remember whether she'd handed it over to, to me to do. The fact of the matter was she had handed it over and it was done. But she spent so much time because of being so busy worrying about that. That's how nurses are. That's how caring this profession is. That they can't, they actually lose sleep when they can't do the best that they can or they're in any doubt. That's the people that you're dealing with. This is the side of the the argument that gets never gets portrayed by these ministers. This is the human side of being a nurse. We've come to the end of the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'd love to know what you would like us to talk about. Tell us what you're interested in or concerned about in the world of nursing by tweeting us at the RCN with the hashtag Nursing Matters, and we'll do our best to cover them in future episodes of the podcast.
So thanks to our special guests, Graham Reavy. Oh, thank you, Rachel. It's been an absolute pleasure. And it's uh, this has been different. Let's put it that way. But I've enjoyed it all the same. It's been very different. I'm usually looking at people while we are talking to them. So this has been different, but it has been a pleasure. And I'd love to come back to talk to, to you about other things. I'm sure we'd love to have you back. And uh, thanks to, to Rita Devlin. And remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our next edition. And if you've got time, give us a nice positive review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to spread the word about Nursing Matters. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.